Welcome to Conversations Different, a podcast from the Santa Fe New Mexican about issues and people that matter. This month, the New Mexico legislature will return for a 30-day legislative session in which they will set a spending plan for government and consider a host of other issues, depending on the governor's desires and time allowed. One constant, though, whatever the issue, is the power of a lobbyist. With us to discuss lobbying and lobbyists are Steve Terrell and Dee Dee Feldman. Both know their way around the Capitol. Steve covered the legislature for the New Mexican for years, and Dee Dee is a former state senator. Together, they wrote a report for Common Cause New Mexico focusing on lobbying and alcohol. Dee Dee, how did this report come to be? This is a report that was written for Common Cause New Mexico. It's one of a series of reports that Common Cause has done over the years uh, called Follow the Dots Reports. And the idea is to follow the money, follow the campaign contributions and the expenditures made by special interests and their lobbyists, and then connect that to the success or failure of legislation that is related to that issue. So, Steve, what led you guys to focus on the alcohol excise tax? Because that's what this report is about, is how, for 40 years, New Mexico has not increased that tax. Yeah, yeah. that And that was one of the major things in the last session of the legislature is, uh, well, in the report, we compare it to watching an ice cube melt. Uh, they started out <laughs> at 25 cents a drink, and uh, by the time it got to the governor's desk, it was down to a, about a penny a drink. And then the governor vetoed that. So it was just and, like... And uh, what was the reason? It wasn't strong enough? I'm not <laughs> sure what the... Uh, you know, I haven't really read a clear reason from her. She, yeah. someone, uh, One of her spokeswomen, uh, I think, said something to that effect. But uh, She said uh, it wouldn't make that much difference. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she, that it was one of many taxes uh, that she vetoed, tax breaks as well as... Uh, this was a tax increase that would have generated revenue, but the others were tax breaks and for alternative uh, energy and so on, and she vetoed them all. And they were all included in one big package deal. So she can line item veto that, but she was must have been in a very bad mood about about that. Right. And one of the things that struck me, Steve, when I was reading the report is I knew lobbyists were powerful, but I didn't expect anyone to, you know, stand in the bullring and say, I own you guys, basically. I mean, did it surprise you as you did your research? Just- that, actually, Dee Dee came across that little factoid, and it was in our old uh, former colleague, David Royball's uh, biography or autobiography of uh, Fabian Chavez, and uh, Fabian talked about that. Uh, yeah, Taking on Giants. I think that was the right, name, right. name of the book. And Great book, David. It yeah. was a good book, and uh, he talked about taking on the alcohol industry and losing, right. you know, and that trend kind of still continues today, although the the industry has changed quite a bit. Right. Well, one of the things that, that struck me, I was doing the history a couple of weeks ago, I sent this to Steve, and there was a district judge who had been elected, and he was supposedly going to postpone when he started because he wanted to be able to lobby the legislature on alcohol issues, and he didn't want to start till after it was done. Uh, he quickly retracted and said, no, no, that's not true. But it would have been true. You had took me the paper- out of context. That's right. That's right. So, Steve, the connections, it, it's not just that lobbyists have money. It's that you know them. 
Right. Yeah. You know, um, I've worked and Didi's worked on uh, studies on the oil industry and that money just blows everything else, including alcohol, out the window. And, and again, you can't just uh, say, oh, yeah, he got a donation from the liquor industry, so therefore he must be in their pocket because they all get uh, money, some more than others. Leadership and committee chairmen, of course, get more. But um, they never seem to have a bad session, like we've said. The thing is, uh, New Mexico is a small state, and everything is built on relationships. And so the uh, lobbyists are well known to legislators. Sometimes, as Gary Kilpatrick, a former lobbyist, told me, sometimes they are the best man at the legislator's wedding. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're related to legislators, the sons or the brothers. Um, spouses. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's one big happy family there in some ways, but uh, in other ways, the public who doesn't have these relationships is is uh, closed out. Do you have any suggestions, Dee Dee, from your time, you know, observing and then being part of the legislature? What can a regular person do to counter the power of money and friendship? Well, uh, Having said that money and friendship are very determinative, the New Mexico legislature is still an open legislature to the general public, less so now because of COVID. But I think one of the things about New Mexico is that you always could go in to your legislator's office and they would usually see you, particularly if you were a constituent. That's not true in other states like Pennsylvania, where I was born, my whole life, I never knew that my legislator lived down the street from me, and I, I would never have dared to call this person on the phone. And, and it's different in New Mexico, and I think it is because we're a small state. And even if you live at a great distance, you usually know somebody in another town, and yet there are a lot of things that can be done to curb the power the inordinate power that lobbyists do have. Steve, what, what, what did you see as a reporter? For one thing, um, even though we are an open legislator, sometimes you have problems getting it. They'd have the, a very controversial issue in a committee meeting that might make it or break it, but the room would be too small. They have these tiny little committee rooms. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there were a couple of hearings I couldn't cover as a reporter because uh, they're so crammed full of people. Yeah, that, that's hardly fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my favorite is when people drive six hours to testify and all of a sudden the hearing has been moved. Right, mm -hmm. the hearing's been moved and uh, all these other bills take precedent. I'll do it for a courtesy for another legislator, mm -hmm. but they won't do it as a courtesy for you. That's mm -hmm. right. The people do not always come first. Um, with that, we'll be back in a moment with Conversations Different. Thanks, Inez. This is Patrick Dorsey, publisher of the Santa Fe New Mexican. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Conversations Different with Inez Russell Gomez. Great local content is only possible with a talented staff dedicated to bringing you the best local content possible. For that staff to do its work, we need your support by subscribing to the Santa Fe New Mexican. 
If you're already a subscriber, thank you. And if not, there's never been a better time to subscribe. In addition to our home-delivered newspaper that comes with full digital access, we also provide digital-only subscriptions for SantaFeNewMexican.com. We'll also be releasing more online-only audio and video programming moving forward. The Santa Fe New Mexican has been here for nearly 175 years, and we want to continue being your source for local news and information. Visit us at santafenewmexican.com slash subscribe or call us at 505-986-3010. Thank you. It's a new day in New Mexico, and the doors to boundless opportunity are open as tens of thousands of New Mexicans reach higher to pursue a dream, broaden their horizons, and retrain for a better job. With the New Mexico Lottery and Opportunity Scholarships, you could build yourself a better future anywhere in the state. You put in the hard work, we'll help with the costs. For eligibility details, visit ReachHigherNM.com. We are back with Conversations Different. Our guests are Steve Terrell and Dee Dee Feldman. We're talking about lobbying and the New Mexico legislature, specifically in this instance, about the alcohol excise tax, which has not been raised in 40 years. Dee Dee, I was thinking about, we talk about when you raise a tax, you get money. And in this case, they were going to dedicate that money to a special fund. But I also think about like the, the principle of opportunity cost because every year they didn't increase the tax a little bit was money we didn't get. It was treatment that wasn't sought. It was... That's right. Yeah. And and we have so many people that need treatment. I think there was an estimate from the Department of Health that, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people that uh, need alcohol treatment, behavioral health treatment, uh, substance abuse treatment, and only about 70,000 out of the whole state were able to obtain services. So this tax would have gone into a special dedicated fund that would be to create programs that would help treat uh, those with alcohol dependence. It's got another aspect, too, of the tax, and that is that it's a, it's a preventative measure that will prevent people from drinking, uh, particularly if they don't have that much disposable income. And where they've raised the tax in other states like Maryland and... Um, Alaska. Alaska, yeah, Alaska. They found that the rate of drinking for problem drinkers has gone down. And then just recently I found out that in Wyoming they lowered the alcohol tax. And there the rate of alcohol dependence went up. Wow. And we're in a mess right now because during the pandemic, I mean, you were home, what else could you do? So you drank a lot. Or at least some people did. I I, I'm not speaking for myself, but um, yes, no, that's very true. Yeah. And the rate of alcohol disease uh, went up yeah. during COVID, and right now the statistic is that six people die every day in New Mexico because of an alcohol-related illness. Right. Yeah, we've got the highest death rate in the nation. That's, that's so we lead something. Yeah, we're oh, number one. That's right. Oh man, this is the wrong list, though. We don't want to be first. And it, as I read uh, your report in the statistics, we're not just first. We're like first with a bullet. It's a yeah, bunch. Yeah, it's a big one. And, yeah. uh, and that, that, that's another main reason we did the report in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because if problem drinkers drink less 
And if teenagers maybe postpone drinking because they can't afford it or, you know, there's more of a stigma, whatever, does that potentially save lives, Steve? Well, I think it does, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a magic bullet. It's not, I don't think no. really serious drinkers are going to drink. But, uh, you know, the, hopefully they'll drink less. Mm -hmm. And hopefully this money will, um, you know, go to help treatment, uh, help get more people into treatment. Yes, and evidence-based treatment, uh, not just any kind of treatment, but treatment that works. You know, the whole situation is kind of analogous to tobacco, and the arguments against raising the tobacco tax were the same uh, right. in general as raising the alcohol tax. And it took us years to do that, and the rate of teenage smoking went down immediately. Luckily. I think we have vaping now to uh, yeah. addict people and make sure they get sick well, later. Well, that's what happens. You know? The industry, this whatever the special interest yeah. is, finds a way around it right. and finds it develops a new market in China or develops a, a, yeah. a new mechanism. Right. Well, one of the things that's so hard right now is the state has bunches of money. So people say, well, why raise a tax when we have so much money? And we have these new industries that are really, you know, providing jobs and are interesting, uh, you know, th all the little microbreweries, et cetera, and they're afraid this tax would hurt them. Mm -hmm. So how do you beat those arguments back when you are presenting this? Well, for one thing, what we've heard is that this bill will probably not apply to the microbrewers okay. and some of the small mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? The yes, distilleries and wineries. Yes, uh, that's going to be in this yeah. bill, and it was in la in the last year's bill, and the one that was introduced in 2017 as well. But the industry is pretty united, right? So even though it doesn't apply to those uh, favored small breweries, Bosque Brewery in Albuquerque, and you know Marble, others, yeah. it, it, they stick together. And the small brewers that everybody loves become the face of the Anheuser-Busch and the premier distributing, the really big guys. And, and every legislator has a brewery or a winery in their district. And so they're looking upon them as, oh, these are small businesses, mom-and-pop operations. And it can be dealt with by an exemption, and it has been. But nonetheless, the imp overall impression is that you're going to hurt everybody. Right. Yeah, and some some of the smaller breweries actually aspire to become uh, bigger, which is fine. Yeah, but they're definitely uh, against this tax, anything that might come close to doing that. Steve, uh, when we, you and I worked together, you always used to give me grief because I was such a, you know, Puritan and scold. And, you know, I, I'm like the, the queen of the nanny states. I, I think that industries <laughs> that harm should pay taxes. I, I don't care what you do, but, you know, pay for it. And I think... I guess that makes me a nanny, too. I don't yeah, know. I was going to say, you have changed a lot. You've but called me worse. I, no, I have. I have. And you've deserved it. But, but I think about the legislature and the fact that there's alcohol at every function. People drink in their offices. It must be hard to go lobby for a tax when everybody around you is, is getting blitzed after hours, or at least many. You mentioned that one uh, legislator back uh, in, the, in Dave Roybal's book. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to a former cabinet secretary last week, and uh, she told me that in the old days of the, of the legislature, like back in the 80s, the lobbyists would go around and ask every legislator, what, what do you need to drink for tomorrow? In the morning, 
there'd be a bottle right by their door. You know, it's probably not that blatant these days. No, but uh, right. I, I never saw I never saw bottles by doors when I was there. No, they went and put it in the refrigerator or in the wine cabinet. Yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think there is one legislator who did have a wine cabinet. I, I believe I read about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, your judgment isn't as good. I think. If you're tipsy or drunk. I mean, that's just, you (laughs) know, one of the things your mom tells you as a teenager, you don't make your best judgments alcohol impaired. And, you know, it's also interesting that the watering holes are bars. The The old bull ring. The bull ring, Mm -hmm. for example, that's that's a bar and that's not a a coincidence. Is there a coffee shop where all the legislators gather to, to make their backroom deals? You know, they're they're at the Haagen-Dazs on the plaza or at Starbucks. That would be nice. I yeah, or, I haven't heard of that. Yeah, yeah me, I haven't heard of either. <laughs> yeah, me either. We need a backroom coffee shop. And on that note, we will take a break and be back soon with Dee Dee Feldman and Steve Terrell. My name is Maria Jose Rodriguez Cadiz, and I am the Executive Director with Solace Sexual Assault Services. Our mission is to prevent sexual violence and empower survivors of sexual violence through restoring dignity, strength, and resiliency. For almost 51 years, Solace has reduced the impact of sexual violence. We do it by focusing on human rights, social justice, hope, and dignity. We believe survivors are experts in their own experiences and acknowledge that empowering them is crucial to their healing. Our advocacy, forensic interviewing, and therapy services are centered to their needs. Our sexual violence prevention programs in schools and community is just as important. Please check our website at findsolace.org. And if in need, you can call our 24-7 hotline, which is 800-721-7273. Your support is crucial to the lives of survivors. Thank you. Gracias. We are back with Conversations Different, talking to Steve Terrell and Dee Dee Feldman. They wrote a report for Common Cause New Mexico, connecting the dots to show the power of the alcohol industry lobby versus the power of the people and the reality of the legislature. Uh, Dee Dee, what kind of dollars are we talking about? Well, we found that it was overall about 2.6 million dollars that the industry and its lobbyists gave over a 10-year period to uh, elected officials in New Mexico. And they, the industry also has PACs, and they also give to legislators and governors. The, the biggest recipient was uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham, and then others from the legislature. And the attorney general also was a big recipient. You know, it, it's, it's a considerable amount that is targeted to the people that are in key positions in the legislature mm-hmm. to let something through or block something. Right. And that was uh, from alcohol companies or uh, organizations. Uh, the uh, industry lobbyists 
donated $1.1, nearly $1.2 million to legislators and statewide candidates during that 10-year period. Wow. And we're not talking just about a tax on alcohol. I, I remember there was an effort to try to do a local option tax because Gallup is, McKinley County is the only county mm-hmm. in the state that is able to raise taxes on liquor so it can do things like have a substance abuse center. Other counties would like that power, but that doesn't go very far, does it, Steve? No, it, it really doesn't. You know, the, Gallup's a pretty small town right? Uh, in the scheme of things till you get Santa Fe and Albuquerque and Las Cruces uh, and other places on board, that's... Yeah. Well, one of the things that's kind of horrific about what happened in Gallup is the only reason that was passed is because Jovita died, the little girl that was killed, and because the Tribune did... Because of the Tribune series. That's right. That was... that was very instrumental, and the and the horseback ride mm-hmm. from and march from Gallup journey to, for Jovita. Yeah, yes, that was a very that was a historic event. And one of the main guys behind that was the father of current Senator George Munoz. Wow, mm-hmm. that's yeah. fascinating. Well, in the interest of, of full disclosure, um, David wrote was one of the writers for the for the Gallup series. For David the tribute, yes, David uh, Gomez. Right. Yeah, you know, I, you I've know heard him. Of him, and he he talks about walking on that journey because he did it with the people, and you know, to this day, I think about how that changed things. Mm-hmm. But we haven't had movement, and as bad as drunken driving is, that's really not the hugest problem. The that's huge right. problem is drinking, and then you know having your liver fail on you when you're 40 or getting diabetes or heart, you know, all of those things. And I, I like it. Uh, I like that journey to Jovita because it was really a case of people taking this into their own hands. The mayor of Gallup at the time was paid a visit by the legislative leadership in, I think it was 1992, saying, you know, we'll see whether we can deal with this administratively or something. No need to make a big deal of this in the upcoming legislative session. And that's when the mayor got the with the support of the churches and the support of uh, of others. Mayor Munoz. Yeah, yeah. yeah Mayor Munoz. Uh, Eddie, right? Eddie Munoz. Yep. Yes, right. Eddie Munoz uh, organized that that trip. And how many? There was hundreds of people on that, weren't there? Yeah, I yeah. forget the exact number. And they that. walked. That wasn't just like a... A small contingent yeah. of them walked. Right. And people joined and then dropped off. But when they... When they entered Santa Fe, they were a thousand strong. Wow. Um, so that was that was pretty amazing. And that was in 1992, I think. And that was the year that the Attorney General, Tom Udall, then had a package to address DWI, and in it was a tax increase. And that was the last time that the New Mexico legislature increased taxes on alcohol. And the the efforts, and Richardson, when he was governor, had some efforts against drunken driving. Those actually have, have worked. It's not perfect, but we went down on the list. You know, people had to get ignition locks. A lot of penalties went there. But there doesn't seem to be as big of a focus or acknowledgement of the public health cost that alcoholism, you know, yeah. has. 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. Richardson also tried to get this tax increase in. That's right. Uh, I think it was going to be a diamond drink, if I remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Blue Ribbon Tax Commission back in Richardson's first year in office, uh, they met one morning and they voted narrowly to to do that, to have this tax part of the tax package to be discussed by the legislature. And by golly, after lunch, there was a motion to reconsider, and they reconsidered, and they got rid of the tax. And uh, Richardson was mad, yeah. and uh, he didn't get his hardly any of his tax stuff done that session. It was a special session. And I remember a quote from him. He said something like, if the liquor industry thinks they can stop Bill Richardson on this, they're wrong. But, they were right. They were, they right. were right. But they were right. They, uh, yeah, and uh, Richardson never mentioned it again. Wow. Well, I think one thing about Governor Lujan Grisham is that she may have vetoed it for whatever her reasons were, but she does have a public health background. And probably more than most governors, she understands that raising this tax isn't just about getting more money. It's about spending the money the right way to make people's lives better. Absolutely. Let's I, hope. I I think so. But you do have to be uh, cognizant of the fact that she received a huge amount of money from the liquor industry, and uh, as any governor would. And that's part of the equation, which is so important, I think, that we keep doing these reports and that... uh, columnists like Steve used to do when he was in the uh, New Mexican, revealing, making transparent all the money that is spent on campaign contributions and on whining and dining legislators during the session. Right. And whenever legislators or governors would tell me it doesn't affect what I do, I would say then they must be wasting their money. Yeah. yeah, and well, nobody you know, wastes that much money. Literally, that's true. We looked at some committee votes for uh, mm-hmm. people who got the most money were voting against bills that the liquor industry wanted, and uh, four bills, or mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, so it's not just it's not it, that cut and dry. Yeah, yeah. It's, no. it's, it's not just uh, quid pro quo or anything. Right. Uh, but you get to know somebody who's always giving you campaign money, even if it's not for your. You know, most of these folks are uh, contract lobbyists, which means they have dozens of employers and clients. And so they may be giving you money for, you know, some bug extermination company or something. Here's your money. But, you know, you remember the face who gives you money. Yeah, that is true. And on that cheery note, uh, we will end this edition of Conversations Different. We'll be back again with a new podcast on Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you.